0: You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. We have been in a series going through the gospel of Matthew. Um, and my iPad just died, so we're gonna wink. Nope, this is like two weeks in a row. Okay, there we go. Anyways, it, it worked this time. Uh, but uh, before we, we jump into that, I, I read an article this week that I thought was interesting. My nerd self was geeking out. Um, when you think about loud sounds, right, you think about like kids screaming, you think about cars, you think motorcycle, jet engine, uh, but do you know the loudest sound that's ever happened uh, was an island, uh, it was a volcanic island by the name of Krakatoa, maybe, somebody, anyone heard of it? First service, there's two, okay, there's seven of us nerds now, all right, cool, um, but it's... Uh, Uh, near Indonesia. And in 1883, this thing exploded with so much force that it was, if you took the Hiroshima bomb, multiplied it times 13,000, that's how big this explosion was. It produced a sound that was 310 decibels. Like unheard of something being that loud. In fact, they say that um, after about like 194 decibels, you no longer hear it. It's just a shockwave that hits you. People heard this 3,000 miles away and it sounded like artillery shells. It took four hours for the sound to travel 3,000 miles and they heard it. And, and so it's, like it's documented in history that this event took place. It was such a massive sound that it, the, the shockwave continued to circle around the globe for five days because weather patterns, they saw a, a, a giant spike in the air pressure every 34 hours, which is what it would take for the speed of sound to travel around the world. So for five days, the earth continued to resound shockwaves uh, of this explosion happening. Uh, Why do I mention this? Because as we've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, I hope you have been, Uh, if you didn't get a bookmark, we're reading through the New Testament together as a church this year, uh, five chapters a week. But as you've been doing it, and as I've been going back through and rereading, not just like the the finished work that Jesus did on the cross, but the ministry and the events and and his teachings literally sent shockwaves throughout culture, throughout the religious establishment, throughout people's lives, I mean, reverberating even here and now today, thousands of years later. So incredibly significant that I pray that as we read that we don't just get lost in it. And now, so one of the things that we've been doing is, so we do five chapters a week. We're trying to kind of stay in pace, but this week I'm rebelling, okay? There's just, there's too much stuff. There's too much. in praying about it and looking at it, I'm like, how do I, how do I summarize and, and pick one spot in five chapters of Matthew? And it's just impossible. So I'm gonna take us through kind of a, a big chunk of scripture today. So one, if you have a paper Bible with you, I'm gonna encourage you to pull it out. If you didn't bring one, bring it another week. Uh, click there on your phone. If you don't have a phone or a way or a scroll, uh, you didn't prepare for that, uh, you, it'll be on the screen as well. Uh, but we're gonna, we're gonna start in Matthew chapter eight. But here's some things that you may have noticed that I've been paying attention to a little bit. As you've been reading, have you noticed how many times there, there's, a, there's some patterns of things that so many times, Jesus is either getting in or getting out of a boat. Does anyone else notice that? So like constantly, he's like, getting in a boat here. No, he's getting out of a the boat there. He's getting in a boat here. It's like, he's always on the water. Two, he's always throwing shade at the religious people. Always. And I'm kinda like, oof. And then I get convicted too at the same time, because I'm like, yeah, that's me. But like, do you, like you see how often he confronts people and says things that are just like, I would have loved to see the reaction. And the third thing, I'm sh- there's, there's a thousand things, but the third thing is Jesus is always healing people. Like always. If you've read more than a chapter, he's probably healed someone. Like if you've read three chapters, he's healed like 57 people. Like continually, he's always healing people. And so we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter eight. I'm going to hit some highlights along as we go. Uh, there's, there's four kind of aspects that I want to point out about Uh, a life of following jesus that's going to jump out from the text so we're going to read through some of it i'm going to summarize some of it and we're just going to go through the narrative together um but let me catch this up before we jump in okay so we went through the sermon on the mount jesus like this culmination of the greatest sermon ever given before jesus goes up on the mountain to teach remember he heals a bunch of people right first thing he does when he comes down from teaching is guess what you're so smart. Look at that. He heals people, all right? And so that's where we, we, we see this in, uh, in Matthew chapter eight. First thing, verse one, he, he heals a man with leprosy. This massive demonstration of faith. Uh, and then we're gonna, we're gonna jump in actually on verse five, but let me give us the first uh, of our four aspects of this morning, and then we'll, we'll go through the text. The first one is that you cannot follow Jesus without faith. I, I know this, this sounds basic, like, Matt, last week, it's like, hey, prayer isn't an option. This week, it's faith. Like, it's kind of basic things. But, but uh, we have to examine our lives. We have to examine our lives, myself continually, and to see where am I acting and moving, and not just big ethereal, like, oh, faith in Jesus, but where in my daily life is the next step I'm taking in faith? Because Jesus makes a lot of it clear they were called to live not by sight, but by faith. So I left the headings in the text this morning because I, one, just love it. it helps give me some framework. Um, so as you get distracted, you can see some of these highlights. And so I, I left the, the headings in today. Remember, those weren't original. Those were added later. Uh, so this is the faith of the centurion that we're gonna read in verse five through 13. It says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go. And he goes and this one come and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this and he does it. Now, a, a centurion was a Roman officer that was most likely a Gentile. We've talked before about the animosity and racial hatred between the Jews and the Gentiles. The, the Jews looked down upon the Gentiles. That It was said that a, uh, a Jewish person was, or a Gentile home wasn't even worthy for a Jew to enter. And so here's a person who represents the Roman oppression uh, of, the, of the land at the time. And so this man comes to Jesus now as a, as a servant, the, the way that the law would be is that if his servant was injured and couldn't do his duties, he could kill him. Like he could just have him killed. He could just do away with him as it was property. But there's, there's something different about this man because he, he comes to Jesus with compassion because of his servant. And this is, this is a, a shockwave moment right here. Verse 10. Now granted, remember there's a bunch of Jewish people around him. And Jesus says this statement. When he heard this, he was amazed. Something's gotta be big to amaze Jesus, right? And said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. What a great display of faith. What was so great about it is that this centurion, he understood the authority that Jesus had. He compared it to a military army. He he had faith absolute faith in understanding that Jesus has all authority. He has authority, and we're gonna see Jesus' authority demonstrated throughout chapter eight, but that Jesus has authority over creation, Jesus has authority over sickness and disease, Jesus has authority over death itself. And this bold statement was his understanding that Jesus carries authority. He doesn't have to come, he doesn't have to see my servant, he can just say the word and he could be healed. What great faith he had. What he's also pointing out in this is the Jewish people as, as being God's chosen people, he was breaking down these, these barriers and saying, hey, it's, it's not just the uh, Gentiles are not going to be excluded because of their ethnicity in the kingdom, but also you guys are not going to be included just because of your ethnicity. He's saying there's a very real heaven and a very real hell. And the thing that determines, the one thing that determines where you spend eternity is your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, period. It's not based on who your mom or dad was. It's not based on where you grew up. It's not based on your ethnicity. It's not based on anything else or rather than your profession and your faith in who Jesus is that he was the perfect son of God, that he lived the perfect life, that he was crucified on the cross, and on the third day, he rose from the grave and he is seated in heaven and all who put their faith and trust in him and his finished work shall be saved. That's the determining factor. He's saying it's not just because you're Jewish, it's not because you're Gentile. In fact, you're gonna be surprised. Talks about forgiveness and obedience. Our, Our... Following Jesus on the daily requires faith. You know how much faith it takes to pray for your enemy? Have you done it? You know how much faith it takes to actually walk the ways of Jesus? It's not just because they're easier. They're, in fact, so much harder. It requires faith. It requires faith to steward our money the way that scripture tells us. It requires faith to treat other people the way it tells us to treat. Requires faith. Ephesians 2 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's a gift from God, not by work, so that no one can boast. So the level playing ground is that we were all once dead in sin, but God. By his grace, through faith in the work. All right, so let's, let's keep going. I'm going to summarize a little bit more, and we're going we're to jump ahead. Um, so uh, right after this, Jesus heals. Peter's mother-in-law. Now, depending upon your relationship with your mother-in-law, this may or may not be a miracle. Um, heals his mother-in-law, uh, then uh, heals uh, a man who is possessed by a demon, uh, and then we get, and then he heals all the sick. Then it's just clumped in. Everyone who's sick, they're like, Jesus around? All the sick, all the disease, all the people who needed something, they came to Jesus and healed all of them. Um, you see a, th- a pattern here, right? So we're gonna pick up in uh, verse 18 the thing that's gonna stand out to us is this, is that the way of Jesus requires an alignment of heart. That the ways of Jesus, us following Jesus, it requires an alignment of heart. Um, and so that the, the heading of this one is the cost of following Jesus. We'll pick it up in verse 18. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross the other side of the lake. Another boat, here we go. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now this teacher comes and he's thinking, hey, I I've seen who the disciples that Jesus picked out and they wouldn't have been my first. They're the proverbial last kid in kickball, let's be honest. Like some of these people are like, really? You could have picked anyone, that's who you picked? And so this teacher comes and he's like, if I join this team, this, this ragamuffin group, I, I, I may have some notoriety. I may be the leader because I'm intelligent, I'm smart. I know the Torah, I know the law. And what Jesus is, is, is contrasting this 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 out of alignment, he's saying, hey, you can't hold on to your life and find it at the same time. Say, hey, birds have, have, have nests, foxes have dens, but Jesus is like, I, I don't have my own home in which I'm going to lay my head down. It's an abandonment of comfort. Now, that's not like a, we need to have a garage sale move to Africa, like verse. But what he's saying is that there's a, there's a complete dependence upon God. And then you're like, if you're reading at the surface, the last statement about the disciple is like, let the dead bury the dead. That seems a bit callous, right? Seems a bit insensitive. Now, what we have to understand is this wasn't, this man was about to go to his dad's funeral and Jesus like, don't go to the funeral. What this man was saying is, hey, my father is older in age, Let me stay at home, let me take care of him, let me wait a couple of years for him to die, let me bury bury him and then I'm gonna follow you. And it's one of the greatest tactics of the enemy, especially with young people, is this belief in this idea that I can follow Jesus when I'm older. Let me live my life now and then one day, when I'm older, when I graduate, when I have kids, when I have my own life, Then I'll follow Jesus. You and I are not promised tomorrow. And what a shame for us to be around the message of Jesus but to never personally encounter the saving grace of Jesus. He's saying you you can't, there's an alignment that you can't live one life, It's, it's not halfway. Like There's some things in life you just can't do halfway. Like, you can't uh, halfway bungee jump, right? Someone's like, hey, did you go bungee jump? That kind of. Like, what does that mean? You can't halfway skydive. Like, there, there's no, it's you either do it or you don't, right? I mean, sometimes we can say, did you eat? You're like, eh, kind of. We all know what that means, but there's certain things you just can't. He's saying there, there, there's an alignment that has to take place between your, your beliefs, your, your actions, your motivation, your, your heart, is that you can't, like, kind of wait in this murky middle. There, there has to be a, a sold out alignment. Now, I didn't even run this past my wife when I f- talked about it in first service, so she had this look, no, it's fine. Uh, but in, 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 in our marriage, uh, when we like have people over to the house or like when we're hosting collective, I am the panic, let's get it done right now because people are coming over and she's, it's okay, we'll get it done. And I feel like every marriage has the two, right? Let's be honest. Uh, and so there's this constant, like, I'm I'm stressed. I'm like, let's 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 clean up. Kids do this. Let's let's get ready. And she's she's like, don't worry, it's it's fine. I will get done. I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> you know, like I, I'm the high strung. She's like the she's optimistic about what's going to get done. The amount of time we have, and I'm like, look, we need to get it done now. You need to stop what you're doing. You know, throw your computer out the window, and you need to get to work. And so, like, we'll do stuff, and I'm like, hey, this needs to get done. She's like, hey, don't worry about it. I'll take care of that. You do the other stuff, I'll take care of that. And then I go and do something else and I look back and that thing is still not done. And I'm like, hey, uh, you, you want me to do that? She said, no, 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 I, I got it. I'm gonna take care of it. And then goes back to work. And I'm like, "Oh, You know, <laughs> trying to just like breathe a minute. I'm like, you, and part of me just wants to come alongside. You know, why don't I just, don't I just do it for you? You know, you, you're busy, you got work, you got obvious stuff. I'll just come alongside and do it. But there's a, she's like, no, I said I'll do it. And I'm like, and and it's a predicament because I'm like, I trust you. But at the same time, maybe I don't. (laughs) And what I forgot to mention in first service is that she always gets it done. And so I just left everyone hanging. They're like, well, is she just lazy? Like what happens? (laughs) Had a good friend uh, remind me of that. But um, it's the tension. Like I I trust her to do it. She says she's going to do it and she always does it. But at the same time, I'm stressed out of my mind because I'm like, it needs to get done now. And, and Jesus is, is drawing this, like, this, this, this line or this, this, this paradigm is being brought up is that we can say we follow Jesus. But does our posture of our heart, does the posture of our life, do our actions, does everything look like it? Because we, we can't stand in two places at the same time. He's saying there has to be an alignment of it, trusting the ways of Jesus. So... Let's keep going. Summarize the text some more. We're going to jump way ahead. Um, Jesus calms a storm. There's a storm. The disciples freak out. He talks to them about their faith, why they have so little faith. Then Jesus, guess what? He heals more people. It's two people that are possessed by a demon. He, he heals them. Uh, and then he uh, forgives and, and, and heals a paralyzed man. It's It's a thing he does. Uh, And so the the third thing that we're gonna look at in the next section is that the way of Jesus confronts social and religious barriers. The way of Jesus confronts social and religious barriers. Now, we're gonna jump on to Matthew chapter nine, verse nine, the calling of Matthew, which is a really cool name, by the way. Um, No one laughed in first service and I was offended. All right, verse nine. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, is it not the healthy who need a doctor? but it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, no one loves a tax collector, even today. We don't love taxes. Um, But at the time, a tax collector, we always talk about being despised, but the idea is because that under Roman authority, all the citizens had to pay taxes to Rome. And so a a Jewish person who would take this position was basically a traitor to his own people. Because what a tax collector would do is they had a certain amount that they needed to pay the government, but they got to charge whatever they wanted. There was no, no rules and regulations. So basically, they would charge a percentage, they would pay Rome, and they would skim off the top whatever they wanted to keep for themselves. So they were despised by their friends and family. In fact, one commentator said, he said, when a Jew entered the custom service that he was regarded as an outcast from society, he was disqualified as a judge or a witness in a court session. His character was so untrustworthy, his profession made him in a sense that he was not even a reliable witness in court. He was excommunicated from the synagogue and in the eyes of community his disgrace extended to his family. So when Jesus chose a tax collector, everyone's like, really? Is there no one else that you could pick? You pick this guy? Why? Why? Because in, in, in our culture, we choose to move towards significance. Like if somebody famous walked in the room you'd probably wanna to try to get next to them. you probably probably like, wanna go talk to them afterwards, right? If, if, if you're at a concert and they change and they come down, everyone's pressing in, I wanna get close to them, I wanna to try to take a blurry picture of them that I'm never gonna look at anymore, right? Like, you, you wanna be around people of influence, people of status, people of wealth. We, we move naturally, we move towards that. And everyone expected the Messiah to do the same, to go to the religious significant, to go to the important people, to go to the politicians, to go to those with influence. But what did Jesus do? Jesus, not like us where we move towards significance, Jesus moved in order to show significance. Who did he go to? He went to the least of these. He gathers the children around him. He goes to the rejected. He gets to those, those that were one that was caught in adultery. He goes to the, the woman at the well. He goes to those that have been outcasts. He goes to the lepers that are cast out of society. He goes to the hurting. He goes to the destitute. He goes to the broken. He goes to the ends of the earth to gather up those that everyone else has overlooked and says, I see significance in you. The way of Jesus breaks down every cultural and every religious barrier. And he's amongst, I mean, what I love is that people wanted to be around Jesus. Tax collectors, sinners, they, they're, they're having a meal with Jesus. They wanted to be around him. We can tend to get stuck in our ways and get static. Um, but you know what this tells me? Looking at this, the fact that he, he chose Jesus The the fact that Jesus chose Matthew tells me, one, that it doesn't matter how broken, how dirty, how jacked up your past is, it's not too much for God to change and heal. It also tells me that it doesn't matter how broken, how dirty, how jacked up your past is to be used by God. God. If God went to the rejected and if God chose the rejected, certainly God can use our stories and God can use the mess that we've made of our lives for his good and his glory. So the question is, how do we associate with those that are different than us? How do we associate with those that are different? Because the the, the tragedy is that some say two years, some say four years, but in just between two to four years when you come to know Christ, the majority, if not all, of your unbelieving friends you no longer have contact with. Now, we need godly community. We need people that are going in the same direction we're going. We need people to hold us up, hold us accountable, to, to point us to Jesus. But at the same time, we're not called to live in isolation. Jesus didn't just hang out in the synagogues. He hung out. He had dinner at a tax collector's house full of other sinners. Now, that doesn't mean you live crazy, you give your life to Jesus, and you continue to live crazy, okay? You didn't hear that. It's not like I got saved at a frat party and that's my ministry, right? What he's saying is, is one, somebody around you does something, somebody cusses, you're not gonna melt. We're called to go into the world. We're called to love people. And that's the the, the way of Jesus. It broke down the religious barriers that he came for the elite. One commentator said, Pharisees were like doctors who wanted to avoid all contact with sick people. Of course they wish that sick people would become healthy, but they wouldn't risk getting infected themselves. Let us not live lives in a holy huddle, in a bubble where we're unwilling to love people who look different than us, who believe different than us. All right, let's keep going as we wrap up. All right, summary, I'm gonna, we're gonna jump way, way ahead, okay? Uh, so Jesus' question about fasting, he uh, raised the dead girl back to life. That's a new one. That's cool. Uh, he heals a sick woman. Uh, he heals the blind. He heals the mute. Um, then Jesus sends out his disciples. You're never gonna believe this for what they're to do. Heal people, okay? I know you're like, Matt, you're beating a dead horse here. But it's, it's all over the text. He, he gives them authority. He sends them out to, to to drive out demons, to heal every kind of disease, uh, then he's explaining to people who John the Baptist is. And, and, and then we get to chapter 11, verse 28. And the thing that is gonna challenge us in this is that the way of Jesus is challenging, but it brings rest for our souls. The way of Jesus is challenging, it is. Jesus never said, this is the easy way. He said, no, it's, it's, it's actually gonna be really hard. People are gonna hate you because of me but it's the way that we find rest to our souls. Matthew eleven 28, you've probably heard this before. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. We're like, that sounds awesome. Sounds like a vacation. Sounds like a couch and a snack, right? Say, like, hey, you're weary, you're burdened, come to me and you're gonna get rest. In surface of, we, we wanna stop there, we wanna stop the period, that's it, done. Now, I would be willing to bet that many of you came in this morning weary. Not just I didn't get much sleep, but weary from the weights of what you're carrying. Weary from the burden of your past, the burden of your situation, the burden of what you're facing Monday morning. And what I love is that Jesus is words that he speaks so often to people is to not go and do, but come. It's an invitation, not just to the way of Jesus, but the person of Jesus. He says, hey, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now that seems like a bait and switch. Cause you said rest, and then you talk about burden and yoke. That sounds like work, and work and rest. Don't get along. What is, what is he talking about? We, we understand what a yoke is. Many of you probably don't have a, an ox at home. Anyone have an ox? Okay, I didn't think, oh, I thought somebody was saying, I was like, really? That'd be, that'd be really cool. Um, but, uh, Okay, you're, you're out plowing a field, you're, you're doing work. What you would do is you have a team of oxen and a, a yoke, as you know, was a, was a wooden uh, apparatus that was built to go over the necks of the yoke and uh, of the oxen and under the, the necks to bind them together to work together, right? They would, they would work in tandem. Now, what you would often do is when you got a new oxen, you would take old Bessie that you've had for 15 years, and you would pair the two, two of them up, and so the 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 younger, inexperienced one would learn from the older, wiser, experienced one. It's like, hey, when Farmer Jethro starts doing this, dude, just straight and narrow. Don't don't go to the left or right. Like like you you would learn from it. And so the invitation from Jesus. Now the other aspect of this that we need to understand too is that in the in the Old Testament in the Torah there's 613 laws that were called to follow. The Jewish people were called to follow, 613 laws. And every rabbi would have a different way of, of um, translating how to, how to actually live those out and how to not break those that you're not supposed to break and to do the ones that you're supposed to do. And the teaching of each rabbi was called their yoke. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey, the heavy burden." of the system of the law that has been placed on you, the yoke that has been placed on you. He says, come to me all who are weary and I'm gonna give you rest. Take my yoke, Jesus's way of teaching, Jesus's way of doing life, Jesus's way of cutting to the core and to the truth of of what it means to be a follower of the Lord. He's saying you're gonna find rest for your souls. It's not that Jesus came to just wipe it away. We read earlier Matthew 4 that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to completely fulfill the law. So we're at an intersection. We have two options because the invitation is to not go and do. It's an invitation for this disciple relationship to come and, and work in tandem alongside Jesus. So one option is we can, uh, we can try to do our own we can try to um, do our own way with the world to try to find fulfillment and achievements and in wealth and relationships and in accumulating or, or try to find that same wealth or that same uh, worth in, in trying to follow the law. or The other aspect is we trust the ways of Jesus who fulfilled it. Who did it perfectly to every letter of it. Like he said, Matthew five seventeen says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. It's not work to try to earn good standing with God. It's not work to try to earn salvation, to try to earn righteousness. It's because we were dead in sin and God plucked us up out of the miry clay and set our feet on a firm foundation. Because I'm in just absolute awe that God would save a wretch like me, that I want to walk the way of Jesus, that I want to do the things of Jesus. Because there's a difference between being weary in body and weary in soul. Ask one of the volunteers who came back from the winter retreat with the teenagers. They are weary in body. But their souls are at rest because they watched four eternities completely change. They saw lives be transformed. Why? Because it's the way of Jesus. You can have bodily rest all day long and your soul be in torment and your heart be in torment. But when our souls are at rest, that spills over. Hey, I can be exhausted out of my mind, but I'm at peace. I have rest. Reminds me of Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will what? He will make your paths straight. Jesus is a better healer than you are. Jesus is a better protector than you are. He's a better provider than you are. He's a better redeemer than you and I. His ways are perfect. His ways are good. And he invites us into this relationship. The question is, do we trust him enough to fully follow him and to surrender our life to him? Are we willing to follow and when we do that, we say, look, I'm, I'm not going to choose the easy way, God. I'm going to choose the way that you, you've instructed us. Not to try to earn right standing. That's already done. That's, that's, that part is taken care of. The finished work of Jesus, the blood on the cross has adopted us into his family as sons and daughters. That's permanent. That's done for. In light of that, how do I live my life? Am I willing to go where I feel uncomfortable? Am I willing to stop trying to find the middle ground where I can have two lives that doesn't work? But while I have alignment in my heart with my actions, and am I willing to find rest for my soul by doing life the way of Jesus? Church, let me pray for us. Lord we we love you God let us never grow callous as i have so often done at times lord to the fact that you are still healing and moving and changing lives Lord, let us not take for granted how intentional you are, that in all of your ways they are perfect. Lord, that most of us are in this room today because somebody had the courage and the boldness to climb down into the pit we were in and point our eyes to you, Jesus. And I pray that we would be people, that we would be men and women of grace, of grit, and of compassion who see people the way that you see them with compassionate lenses. Lord, that we would be a light, into this world. And God, that we would, we would have a rhythm of life in entrusting you at your word and in following your word. And when we read your scriptures and we we read your word, we see the things that you did that we would model that. And as we do it, we would find rest, deep, satisfying rest in our heart because we are where you've designed us to be. So Lord, let us be that kind of people who don't just say we follow you, but who actually do it. We love you, Lord, and it's in your mighty and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen, church, we love you. As always, we would love to pray with you. Our prayer team is down front. I hope you have an awesome week. Stay warm. God bless you guys. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.